This morning I'd like to share um, on the idea of God as Father and God as God. And the Bible is full of a lot of descriptions of God, full of ideas of God's omnipresence, full of ideas of God's omniscience. Uh, We all know that God's perfect. We know that He's holy. We know that He's pure. We could go on and on um, this morning for hours, literally, describing who God is, describing how He works, and describing the core of who God is. But this morning, I think it would be um, very accurate for me to describe God as a loving God, and that the core of who God is is that God is a loving God. The Bible even says that God is love. It's the, it, it's the part of Him, it's the essence of Him that comes through in every dealing that we have with Him, if we're able to look for it and see it. And so this morning, we're just going to look for a few minutes together at this idea of a God who is loving, and a few ways that He's demonstrated that love for you and for, and for me. And I read an article this week in a Christian magazine about whether pastors should preach on Father's Day at all, because... You know, some people had great relationships with their dads, and it's a blessing for them. Other people never knew their dad, and it's, it's a day of pain. It's a day of what-ifs. Other people had a, a troubled relationship with their father, and it just brings it all roaring back. And uh, so I'm not really talking about personal relationships between people. I'm talking about our relationship with God and how he relates to us. And so this morning, there are just three ideas that I want to share from the Scriptures about God and how He has demonstrated the way He feels about Himself and about us, to us, to the Scriptures. And the first thing we see uh, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. You see that verse on your bulletin, but He is a loving Father. And we see that in this verse. And He says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And I read that passage early this week, and it was a reminder to me that God wants to draw all of us to himself. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you smell like or what your background is or, or what you've done in your past or what you're doing right now or what your last name is or what your first name is or what your gender is or what your identity is. It doesn't matter any of those things. The only thing that matters to God is that you come to him. And that he makes you part of his family. And he says, I want to be a father to you. I long in my heart to be a dad, says the Lord God Almighty. He yearns for a relationship with you and a relationship with me. I can remember early on in Rebecca and I's married life, and we had talked about kids a little bit, probably not as much as we we could have. Um, But it wasn't very long until we found out that children were on their way. And I can remember just, just the anticipation of those moments leading up to when our first child was born. And it was, I was exhilarated, and there was something in me that would never be satisfied until I became a dad. And I longed and I yearned to hold that child. And each of my children, there was that same anticipation and same delight in, in, in waiting for them to come along, waiting them for them to come onto the scene of our life. The Bible says before you ever were born, God knew you. Before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye, God loved you. And he was thinking about you. And he was dreaming about the day that you would come to him with saving faith. I think sometimes this morning, though, that when we think of a loving God, 
This is still this God that's out there somewhere. I think most of us believe the words that God is love, right? I don't think anyone would argue against that today. But do you feel that this morning? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he wants more than anything else in this world to have you as a part of his family, to call you his son or to call you his daughter and bring you into his house, his spiritual home, and make you a part of his family? Jesus demonstrated this longing to love his creation, to love the creation of the Trinity when he was coming to Jerusalem and and he saw the fact that they were going to miss all this. Everything he'd been teaching them, everything they'd been trying to tell them about he was coming to die for them and in three days he'd rise from the dead and change the world. He, he knew that they were going to miss it. He knew that there was so much more they needed to learn and to be taught and to be instructed and that it says that he wished he could have gathered them like a hen gathers her chicks to her side and hold them. Even Jesus the Son demonstrated to creation that there was something longing in the heart of the Father to to show compassion and to show love to the creation. That Jesus said, I just wish bring you around you and hug you. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? (laughs) It was right there. Jesus said, I just wish I could bring you close and wrap my arms around you like a hen does her baby chicks you know, snuggle you under the feathers and keep you warm and protected and peck at anything that tries to come at you. Jesus wants to envelope you, wrap you in his protective love. He wants to draw you close to his own heart as we journey through this life together. We weren't created to live this life without the love of God living and breathing and radiating in and through our life. God created us to know him God created us to know how much he loves us. And he says, I want to be a father to you in every way. So God not only wants to be a loving father, he also wants to be a sacrificial father. And he has been. You all know the verse from John chapter 3, verse 16. How does it start? For God so loved the world. This was the source of this great sacrifice that God had for his creation is out of his great love for us. He gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. Nothing matters more to God than your salvation. Nothing matters more to God than that you would come to him in repentance. Nothing matters more to God than you would give your heart to him and that he would have you to himself. God knows too well the intent the enemy has on destroying you. He knows too well the purpose the enemy has of ruining the reason for which you were created, which was to abide and live in his presence. The enemy wants nothing more than to alienate you and keep you alienated from the identity you are meant to have in Christ. And God knows too well the destruction that Satan can leave in the wake of a heart that is turned away from God. And so loving was God, he was willing to turn his back, in a sense, upon his only son. God was called upon to make the greatest sacrifice that had ever been seen in the history of the world. And he was willing to put everything that he owned on the line, that which was most precious to him, for your needs and for mine. 
And so in a moment of conversation that we can only imagine, the Trinity gathers together in this moment before Jesus was finally sent to the world. The Father says to the Son, Son, it's time. And the Spirit says to the Father, I agree. And the Spirit says to the Son, I'll be right behind you and I'll be with you. And the Trinity decides together at this precious moment that this painful separation must occur. Yet Jesus even said it wasn't even worth talking about. I'll leave everything for you. I'll give everything that I have in order for you to know how much the Father loves you. Over 200 times in the New Testament, this idea of God as Father is mentioned. Many of the times in that, of those 200 plus is Jesus talking about the love of God. He's talking about his heavenly Father all the time. All the time. It's like he loves the guy or something. I've been sent by the Father, Jesus said, so that you would know how much he loves you. God's a loving Father. He's also a sacrificial Father. But really, thirdly, this morning, I want to I talk about those, the way those things are demonstrated in a daily life for you and I and where we, maybe sometimes we, we struggle a little bit to understand. And so I want to third, say third and lastly this morning that, that God is a present Father. A lot of what God has done is in the past, right? Jesus died on the cross 2,000 plus years ago. He rose from the dead 2,000 plus years ago. And for some people, that's ancient history. But for those, the people of faith, we realize that God is a living, active God desiring to meet with us right now in this moment. And uh, if you've ever remember reading your Bibles, there is actually a book in the Bible called Zephaniah. When I had someone shared with me this verse the first time, I love the words, but I thought they were pulling my leg. But there is a book in the Bible called Zephaniah, and in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, are the words of my second favorite verse in the entire Bible. I've shared with you enough my first, I don't have to repeat. But Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Let me read that one again. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And the reason this verse has become my second favorite verse in the Bible is just because of the content that's there. It is so rich. It is so meaningful for you and I, and so I want to break it down a little bit before we end our time here this morning, because sometimes we can read the scriptures, we can sing about the love of God, we can talk about a day where we celebrate the love of people around us and just still feel alone. We can still feel discouraged. We can still feel defeated or sad or lonely. And this verse offers so much to us about how much the heart of God the Father delights in us. And I hope that that message is able to to sink in today, that God delights in you, no matter who you are or what you've said or what you've done of where you've been or what you're going or what's coming out of your mouth. There's no pretext to this that God says, if you do these five things, this is how I feel about you. This is how God feels about you. And the first thing the passage says is that God is, is near. 
He says, the Lord your God is in your midst. You all know the verse where two or three are gathered, their God is in the midst of them. It's a reminder to us that no matter where you are, he is there. No matter what you're going through in your life, God is there. No matter what you're feeling about anything on your heart this morning, the Lord is in the middle of it all. We've been talking weeks, asking the question really, where is God in the middle of it all? When we're, we're afraid, when we can't see him, when we don't know where he is, when we don't even know if believe, that we believe that he's real, the Lord your God is in your midst. He is here. And there have been times in your life and in mine, like we've talked about the last few weeks, that we may not believe that he's there, we may not feel like he's there, but the fact of the matter is, whether we believe it or not, whether we feel it or not, he is there. He is here in our midst. He's here with you today, walking with you through whatever it is that you're feeling and carrying in your own life. He is in the middle of it all. He's in the thick of it with us. And we have to turn our attention to him. Remember the words of the scriptures that says, fix your eyes where? On Jesus. May the Lord help us to find out what that means for us. Sometimes it feels like life literally is spinning out of control. And if you've ever been in any kind of a ride where you're spinning faster and faster, it's hard to fix your eyes on anything. You just want the ride to be over with. I remember growing up going on the ocean fishing with my grandpa Cox. And, and uh, the first time I went out, I got seasick. And after that, I almost never got sick again because he taught me to fix my eyes on a, on a, on a landmark on shore. We were close enough to land that we could see the coastline. And he said, Peter, if you ever start to feel sick or even a preventative to keep from getting sick is find something to fix your eyes on and keep it there. I was like, well, what about if my pole starts jigging because there's a fish on? And he's like, well, that's why you hold on with both hands so you can tell what's happening right in front of you. But to fix your eyes on something on shore that will keep you grounded, keep you from everything inside being turned out, we need to be reminded that God is in the middle of it all. It may be a song, it may be a scripture, it may be a friend, it may be a pastor, it may be someone in our life or something in our life that brings God's presence back to us. But to focus on him in the middle of it all. But I love that verse, is, it begins with the, with the reminder, really the authoritative announcement, God is here. Whether we know it, whether we believe it, he's here. And that's just the way it is. And we have to be willing to acknowledge that reality and ask God to show us all that that means. We've talked already about how he's a mighty one who will save us. He has nothing more on mind for you than that he would be your savior in every way. But then there's these really strange phrases in this verse that the first time I read it, it was like, oh, that's kind of weird. I mean, that was honestly my first reaction. It says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. Uh, doesn't he know me? Is, is, was that so, I'm being serious. I read that for the first time, and it was like, ha, that's funny, but not true. But it's the Scriptures, right? 
And as funny and as laughable as I think it may be, the fact of the matter is that He is God who has come to save, who wants to delight over me. There's a place in God's heart that wants to throw a party for you and a celebration when you come, come home to Him and that He will rejoice over you with gladness. There is a place in the heart of God the Father who takes special delight in, in His children. There's a little bit of disagreement in scholarly realms of if this is suggesting that when we come to him in saving faith that this is what it's talking about. And certainly that's the case. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The father was waiting. He was watching. He was spending every minute to have, longing for his son to return. And as soon as he saw him, he took out after him. That is the way that God feels about us. And you better believe in that moment he was rejoicing over the fact that his son had returned. And there is a longing in the heart of God for a relationship to be restored and to be healthy and to be vibrant in our life. And that brings joy to the heart of God to know us. In many ways, we live in a world that is more insecure than ever before. We struggle with self-image and we struggle with self-esteem. We struggle with self more books on the shelf of bookstores about these topics than ever before. And there's more issues in the heart of God's people than ever before about whether they're worth anything. And can I tell you to God, you are worth everything. So the first time I read this verse, I had to, I had to gnaw on that for a little bit, and it had to gnaw on me. <laughs> but despite my flaws, and despite, despite my mistakes, and despite all the things that I knew too well, and I knew that God knew even more than I'd be willing to God knows my secrets. God knows the things that no one else knows about. And yet still, he says, I want to rejoice over you with gladness. God wants to celebrate who you are. That's the kind of God that he is. It's who he is. He is a good, good father. He wants to delight over your life over who you are and where you're going. And I can't say that I've met too many Christians in my lifetime that really believe that. At least that had any way of demonstrating the fact that they were living a life of celebrating God's celebration of them. It's like when you throw a birthday party for your seven-year-old or however year old they are and and there's just this glow about them. They're the center of attention. And everyone has come to celebrate them. We took Levi to a birthday party the other day, and, and, and everyone was saying the birthday boy's name. Everybody was singing about the birthday boy and bringing presents to him. And, and that moment was all about him, and God wants our life to be lived with that recognition that that's the way he feels about us. In fact, it says, and I'm skipping ahead a minute, that he is going to sing a song about you. That's skipping ahead. He delights in who you are. He wants to bring the house down in celebration of his creation. Remember what he said at the beginning after he looked over everything that he'd done? What did he say about it? It is good. It is beautiful. It's the way I've meant it to be. And we, you and I live in a world today that will point out every flaw and even more than we wish they would point out. God wants to know that he delights in you. 
that he loves you with an everlasting love. And he wants to celebrate who you are. And my prayer is for you and I that we would, we would allow God to do that. We would allow God to see us as he sees us. To surrender ourselves to him and say, Lord, you know me and you love me. The fact that he delights in us. And that might take a while. I'm still working on it myself. When I am reminded of that verse that God delights in me, when sometimes that's the last thing I feel about myself. It doesn't change the way God feels about me. In fact, maybe in those moments, I need to be reminded of the fact that God is still having a party over me and over you. The verse kind of takes a turn in this this idea of a mighty God who's coming to save and wants to celebrate with this this out-of-place phrase that means so much to me. He says in that passage, Zephaniah 3.17, I'll rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. That doesn't sound like a party, does it? Something serious is going on here. This is big stuff. The whole mood of the verse, the whole mood of the conversation has changed now. There's, there's, there's racket in our life. There's a lot of noise and a lot of things going on and maybe there's confusion and pain and, and hurt and problems and chaos and things are just really difficult. And the message for a person in that place is God will quiet you by his love. This might be become my first favorite verse. It's not going to take long for me to flop from one to two or from two to one. God knows more than anyone the hurt going on inside. The anguish of rejection or loneliness or cruelty He more than anyone feels the deep anguishes of our souls. And this verse tells us what God wants to do about it. It doesn't say he wants to fix it, does it? I wish that that could be rewritten. To say God will fix our problems and then quiet us by his love. But it doesn't say it that way. It says in the middle of it all, God will quiet us by his love. all the voices that are raging, all the pain, all the hurt, all the, all the things that we feel are so real and so urgent and is so, so now in our life. And yet, in all of that, God wants to come into your heart and mind. And as only God can, I don't know how, by the reminder or the message that he loves you in this kind of a way, that in your own journey, there would be a quietness that would come as he leads you beside still waters. As he restores your souls, he will quiet you by his love. I wish I could have added to my sermon five ways God quiets you by his love. (laughs) But that's his job. So 
So I got to thinking, Lord, okay, so how do we do this? Because the insinuation here is that there's a lot of noise, right? Whatever we're hearing right now is really loud. And so we're supposed to hear nothing in the noise? Wrap your mind and heart around that for a minute. By his love, he will quiet us. We need to find things in our life to remind us that God loves us. Singing songs of the church and reading the scriptures and praying to him and talking to others who would have an encouraging word. But the fact of the matter is we need to make time for the silence in our life. But I'd be remiss to say that just because we go quiet doesn't necessarily mean that we're overwhelmed by his love. It just means that we've turned off the, the noise. So my prayer for each of us is that our, in our own life, if the conversation has been missing or been one-sided or been neglected, we begin to ask the Lord maybe this morning, Lord, how much do you love me? The Bible says, with an everlasting love. But we need to know that in our own heart and life, to be convinced in our own minds and hearts that it's true. When we saw the words of that song, it's one thing to sing it, it's another thing to know it. Ever stood by someone as their spouse struggled to gargle away their last breaths of life? Or visited a parent whose children want nothing to do with them or have run away or got involved in drugs or gone missing? Have you ever talked with someone who suddenly lost their job or got the dreaded phone call from their doctor? And we can go down the list. As a pastor, I've done a lot of those things. And I'm grateful for the moments that God has allowed me to be there in that moment. That verse gives me courage to continue to stand with his children because it reminds me it's not my job to bring quietness to your heart, it's his. By sharing how much he loves in your own heart, in your own spirit, to be still and know that he is God. Yet this morning for some, God's love still feels far away. That God is aloof or missing. And it sounds good for the pastor to talk about. We probably agree that it's true. But right now, though, he says that God is here. It feels like his love is light years away. So we're just going to take a couple of minutes this morning. We don't have them very often of of quiet. But I want it to be a purposeful silence for each of us in our own journey in life that we would know deep inside of who we are how much God delights in us. How much he rejoices in who we are. And I just want to pray for you 
pray for us, pray for each other as we're in silence together, that each of us in our own place of contemplation before God and waiting upon him, that the Holy Spirit would just speak to his sons and daughters this morning. In the whisper of his spirit, how much he delights in you. Lord, there's a lot of noise going on in life. All the baggage that we have and the distractions that we carry and the things that are going on are so overwhelming that that still quiet voice is so hard to hear and even harder to believe. Lord, I thank you for this precious verse in Zephaniah chapter 3. It's like God's getting his dance moves on. I'm your God, I'm your Savior, I delight in you. I'm going to bring you the silence of my love and I'm going to sing a song about you. Lord, how many times do we miss that's the way you feel about us? And the dirt of our daily life and the struggle that we face. So Lord, in these just couple of minutes of just waiting on you, could you just speak to us in a way that we know it's you? Touch our hearts with the understanding that God adores us. God delights in us. We bring him joy and happiness and satisfaction because of our love for you. Lord, if there's, this feels like there's a great distance between our heart and God, would you begin to mend that this morning? As we listen to you, Father, may you just say to us, what we need to hear, and help us, Lord, to know how much we are loved. Take a couple minutes this morning to listen to the heart of God.